Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me, as always, is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Uh, in case it's the first time you're listening, thank you for tuning in. Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. Uh, I work as the road test editor at autoguide.com, and Ben has a much more varied portfolio than me. Ben, where can we find some of your content? Uh, you can find me at Autoguide as well, but also at New York Daily News, at Driving Line, uh, upcoming at Autoblog, and Auto Trader, as well as Auto123. Lots of auto. Uh, yeah, save some for the rest of us, huh? <laughs> Uh, we've got a couple of interesting cars to talk to you about this week. Ben, I think you have the the headliner of this week's podcast, and that's something old, right? It's something old, and it's linked to something new. It is the 2004 Mazda Speed MX-5 Miata. It is a car that I was loaned from the Mazda Classic Collection. It is a very low-mileage car that is almost completely original from what I understand, and it's my first time driving a Mazda Speed version of this Roadster. Now... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, which I probably am. I usually am. The Mazda Speed MX-5 from 2004 was probably the most powerful MX-5 before this 2019 um, power bump version. Yes, that would be correct. And that's kind of why I was linking it to to now, because uh, this is the first. So 2019 is going to be the first time we have a Miata that bests the Mazda Speed on a dyno. So the 2004 was rated at 178 horsepower and 166 pound-feet of torque. And that's a, that's a fair amount more than the 2018 Miata, which came with 155 horsepower. But way back right. when, way back in 2004, when the, when the Mazda Speed model came out, that was 36 horsepower more than the base NB Miata and 41 pound-feet more. Okay, so that's usually a lot of power in a small package like the MX-5. Is it, it leads for a pretty, pretty fun vehicle. Do you mind uh, telling me whether or not this thing is still fun to drive, or like is it any different than the old MX-5s? Like all MX-5s are fun to drive. What makes a more powerful one better? So I'm not really so was, sure. Was that a stupid question? No, I don't. It's not a stupid question because after spending a week with it, almost a week, mm -hmm. and after actually writing my thoughts down this afternoon. I've come to the conclusion that it wasn't better. And what? Yes. No, hold up. Wait, let's step back for a second. Ben, you've owned an MX-5, right? Yeah, I, I've owned a, I had an NA. Uh, a That's 90, the first generation. A, yeah, a 95R package. My sister has a, a 2001 NB as well. Okay. That's that's her That's track car. And I have a bunch of friends with Miatas. Uh, it's I, I have friends with totally stock Miatas and friends with 500 wheel horsepower Miatas. So I've gotten a, I've gotten to sample a pretty wide spectrum of what the Miata platform has to offer. And you're telling me that with more power, this NB Miata is not more fun than whatever the stock one was or or some of the modified ones that you've driven. It's definitely that's definitely the impression that it gave me. And I want to say that I okay. need to catch I, I uh -oh. there's there's reasons for I'm, this. I'm terrified, man. I think there's a lot of Miata fans on the podcast, so we we you better get ready for that. I'm not first of all, I need to make the case clear. I did not dislike the Mazda Speed. It oh. it's not a vehicle that was not great to drive. Uh, but as to whether adding this particular type of power, whether this iteration of making the Miata more powerful made it more fun, I have to say it didn't. And I have a few reasons for that. Um, first, the and, – and this is a – 
I think a lot of what I'm about to have say. I stre- have I stressed you out by by showing you how much pressure it is on for your your hatred for the Mazda Speed uh, MX-5? I have a huge picture of your face on my computer screen right now, which I always yeah, frowning, use. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I, which I always use when we podcast. And like, I have a I, with the arrow keys on my keyboard, I can go back and forth between Smiley Sammy and Angry Sammy. <laughs> and which one are you looking at right now? I'm looking at both of them because I'm hitting the both keys really quickly to kind of just psych myself up for what I have to say. <laughs> But okay. I think that I think Mazda agrees with me. I think because there were only like 5,400 of these vehicles built. But part of that's due to the fact they had a fire at the factory in 2005, and they ended up just shutting down production after I think only 1,400 came out. But it, it, in the 15 years since the Mazda Speed was introduced, we did not get a more powerful Miata. But more to mm-hmm. the point, we did not get a turbocharged Miata. And this is in an era when we had vehicles like the Honda 2000 and the S2000. S- S2000. Yeah. I'm saying sorry. I'm saying it like in uh, Fast and Furious, where he calls it the Honda 2000. I, I don't know why. Yeah. Um, the, the S2000, but also the um, the Pontiac Solstice and the Saturn Sky, which were pretty quick turbocharged roadsters. There were a lot of cars that came out that kind of tried to do the turbo or high horsepower two door convertible thing, and sorry, two door sports car convertible, and then disappeared. Like they didn't have the longevity that the Miata did. And mm-hmm. I think that Ma- the Mazda Speed taught Miata a lot of lessons, sorry, taught Mazda a lot of lessons about how the Miata should be in terms of hanging on to its core buyer group and remaining a fun and accessible car. Because while the new one is faster, like, it's undeniably faster. It was like a second and yeah. a half faster 0-60, to 60, and I think a full second faster on the quarter mile. But okay. if you compare it to the current car, the 2018, not even the 2019 with the power boost, okay. it is just as quick. So somehow a 155 horsepower 2018 Miata does 0 to 60 in the same time that this turbocharged model did and the quarter mile in around 15 seconds, which is almost identical to what the Mazda Speed was able to do. And it does that. That's actually really impressive because there's other elements of a modern Miata that we take for granted that add also a lot of weight. So safety technology and like, like say, um, sensors and blind spot monitoring and other stuff like that that make this like more modern livable vehicle, right? Yeah, and but it didn't really gain any weight. I mean, the weights are very similar between the two cars because don't forget, once you add a turbo to a vehicle and you, you beef up the suspension and you add an air-to-air intercooler and all this stuff, it, it's, you start to add weight there too. So it's kind of kind of uh, evens out the ledger. Oh, interesting. But the, the big problem, and this is something that Mazda Speed owners have always complained about, is the gearing of the car does not make it enjoyable to drive in the same way that a base Miata is. So anyone who's ever driven a Miata, one of the fun things about the car is you can just wind it out to red line and mm-hmm. not really care. Like, this, you don't have to worry that you're going to be... It's blow- actually really fun to blow uh, to, to roll one to all the way to red line. I yeah. love that. That's yeah. like one of the, the joys of Mazda ownership. You get, you get the high RPM sound of the engine. You get the kind of a linear acceleration. Mm-hmm. You have the gear shifting. You don't have to shift super quickly. You have time to move from one gear to the next. It's It's... It's a, a relaxed and fun and engaging experience. With the Mazda Speed, things are a lot more frenetic because they kept the 4.1 rear end ratio for the car mm. that's in the nor- that's in the naturally aspirated Miata at the time. They added a six-speed manual transmission, and once you get above 3,500 RPM, the revs just they woof, they're they're up at red line like right away. Oh wow! Yeah, just like that. And the red line is 500 RPM lower than in the standard car, so you end up having to shift. It's much more frenetic. You can't really okay. linger in the power band of the turbo because all of a sudden it's time for the next gear. And this makes hmm. it 
you you're you're kind of frantic when you're driving the car and it makes it harder to drive it around town because finding the right gear ratio to be in just for cruising isn't obvious and when the uh, mazda speed went to the autocross courses back in the day people were complaining that they could not get the power to the ground in uh, an appropriate manner for maintaining traction but also keeping the car in the power band while they were trying to negotiate an autocross course and that's really worth mentioning because the modern MX-5, I've driven that a couple of times, and I've driven it really recently, the 2019 with the with the additional power. It has one of the best gearboxes and most probably one of the best ratios, gear ratios, you can ever expect out of a modern sports car. It just feels so direct. It feels like it's always got the best um, feel for what gear you need to be in at any time. I'm always so impressed every time I drive that car. And it makes me feel like gearboxes are all the difference in all in cars not the, power gearboxes make a big difference but so does the rear end gear and for the for the miata for the mazda speed miata that rear end gear made it so that even in sixth gear on the highway you were turning pretty high revs at, at mm. cruising speed and it limited the top speed of the vehicle to 127 miles per hour oh yeah so it, it's i mean not that you know a miata is a top speed vehicle to begin with but mm -hmm. it just kind of shows you the bookend that the 410 rear end put on to this vehicle um i i just it didn't give me the same type of engagement as a standard miata did because i just felt like i was always trying to catch up with what the drivetrain was trying to do and there's a whole bunch of there's a whole bunch of other stuff that comes with the car too that, that's great i mean it's a it the turbo is making 7.25 pounds of boost it's, it's not a huge amount of boost okay. uh but it, it comes with a limited slip diff a nicer uh a, a bigger clutch not bigger but a, a more stout clutch to handle the extra power mm -hmm. um bilstein shocks it's seven millimeters lower than the standard nb miata you have thicker sway bars it has a strut tower brace in the front and it came with, uh, I believe, Toyo Proxis tires out of the box. I'm not sure that they're, they were still on it when I was driving it. But they're 17-inch mm -hmm. tires on, on larger wheels that were actually lighter than the 16-inch wheels that normally came with the Envy. Okay. Um, and it looks pretty much like any other Miata, too. You have, like, there's a, an air dam up front. There's a wing on the back, a small wing. It, it came in two colors. Canada only got one of those colors, Velocity Red Mica. But there was a gray well, that's color. Well, be that's the better of the two colors. Yeah, there's a gray in the States. And I believe the States for 2005 got a couple of additional colors, too. But uh, it's not it's not a super flashy type of car. My mine had chrome rims on it. Um, that kind of stood out. Like like chrome chrome like flashy chrome. What do you mean like as opposed to what what kind of chrome? Like <laughs> I can't imagine a Miata with chrome wheels. Like, it oh yeah. Like a little bit too much. It's uh it's it, it a little bit too much is kind of the best way to describe the car. I think. I mean it's quick. <laughs> it's it's undeniably quick. It feels much quicker. But okay. I, I and. I'm not a huge fan of the current car because of the steering, but the drivetrain is just better. The, the naturally aspirated drivetrain in the current car was more enjoyable. And I think that Mazda realized all this. I think that when this car came out and people started to talk about, hey, you know, maybe this is just not as well executed as it could have been, they were like, why are we even trying to build this turbo car when we already have a good formula? And they just went back to the good formula. And, and you know, if you want a turbo Miata, the Mazda Speed is not necessarily the way to go because the ECU in the car, you can't really tune it. It's it's problematic. It's an issue that the community is well aware of. Um, and if you wanted to make a turbo car, just go to the aftermarket. Go to Flying Miata. Get a turbo kit for probably less money than you pay for a very clean Mazda Speed. And you, you'll have no issues with tuning. You'll have much more support in terms of uh, just people who have more experience with the platform and mm -hmm. you can do all the suspension stuff that miata did sorry that mazda did out of the box on your own for for less money as well so it's it's kind of a weird in-between car it's like it's a car that 
didn't necessarily appeal to the track crowd, to the hardcore crowd, but it was mm-hmm. a little too hardcore for the cruising crowd or the canyon carving crowd. It's it's like a, it's like a tweener car. That's just my impression of it. Okay. Um, and I'm surprised I felt that way because I'm a huge Miata fan and I'd always wanted to drive a Mazda Speed. I just, you know, there's only 5,000 of them, so I never had the opportunity. Honestly, first of all, it's hard to find enthusiasts that are not Miata fans. Anyone who's driven one of these things immediately gets their mind reset as to what a fun driving car is like. And uh, I've had a lot of conversations with people who said, oh, it's just a Miata, it's not a sports car. But the truth is, the MX-5 is probably one of the most successful um, sports cars out there. And uh, there's no denying how much fun it is to drive. Now, the second thing that I wanted to bring up is... Mazda has such a curious relationship with turbocharged vehicles. And the MX-5... I mean, it's so interesting to see how long it took for them to try the, to give this experiment to go and then to see them get like be done with it. And other cars in their lineup, even their flagship vehicles, the RX-7s, have had turbocharged vehicles. But then the follow-up to the RX-7, uh, or arguably the follow-up, the RX-8, didn't have that same um, power capability with a, with a turbocharged engine. And then we've seen other cars like the Mazda Speed 3, which had a wild turbocharged four-cylinder engine that was unruly in so many ways that, again, didn't proceed into the next generation of the vehicles. And yeah, now it, we have – sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go on. Go on. And now we have these 2.5-liter turbocharged engines that are found in the Mazda 6 and the uh, CX-9, which are really smooth, really um, punchy engines that are – they seem to be tailored for fuel economy rather than delivering the most visceral driving experience, which is what I think the former Mazda turbos were all about. And I guess that's because, you know, fuel economy requirements as well as um, maybe people looking for more power in their in their modern vehicles are looking for. But it just is a very curious development with their with how they've approached turbocharged vehicles throughout their their history. Yeah, I never really thought about that before, but you really lay it out there. It's it's true that they've just kind of backed away, and I, I can understand why they did that with the RX-7 going to the RX-8 because <laughs> I mean they had I mean, there was so many heat heat related issues with that turbo and those turbos, I should say. And just the amount of money that it cost them to develop that car wasn't around when they needed to do the RX-8, which kind of served a different market and was the last hurrah for the Wankel rotary engine. But uh, the Mazda Speed disappearing is something I've never really completely understood. And I haven't looked deeply into the sales numbers for the Mazda Speed, um, mm-hmm. but my friends who've owned the Mazda Speed 3, they they love it. And it's a wild car. It's hilarious. It feels like every day you're driving with a wrestler. Like you honestly, the steering wheel like saws at you. It it is lively. It is constantly telling you that there's something under the hood that you've got to take care of. <laughs> and I think it's one of the funniest cars to drive. And it's a shame that it's gone. But I totally understand. It's not a normal driving experience. Like, no, it's, it's like a front. Way I- <laughs> it's like a front-wheel drive muscle car, right? And, exactly. And you know, from that era, from the Mazda Speed Three era, there's another car that came and went, and that was the Cobalt SS. Right. Which was also extremely fast. That Ecotech engine was very tunable, and there are some super quick versions of that car that were, you know, the aftermarket served them well. But you'll notice that GM backed away from that and never went back. We never got a cruise that was – we got a turbo cruise, but we didn't get a performance-oriented turbo cruise. Mm-hmm. And we didn't get a performance-oriented turbosonic either. And I've always wondered why. And 
and you know we had this recent focus on sport compact cars where we got the the Civic Type R, but the, mm-hmm. uh, the, we have the SI that's turbocharged now. The Focus RS. The Focus yeah, RS, the Focus Golf ST, R. Golf so R. Many, there's so many sport hatchbacks and sport compacts. And yet Mazda and GM have resolutely stayed <laughs> out of that business. And it's strange because we know what they're capable of. I mean, the Cobalt. Yeah, they made some really funny cars. The yeah. Cobalt was a garbage car, but the SS... <laughs> No, it was. But the SS version was very fast, and the Cruze is a huge improvement on the Cobalt. It is an excellent mm. compact. So uh, to have a, a, a Co- Cruze SS, that would be amazing. I, I think that would be a great car, and I think it would be very competitive. But uh, maybe the numbers aren't there. Maybe the sales figures just don't support that kind of development. Okay, but going back to the Mazda Speed uh, MX-5, now the new MX-5 now makes like what a hundred, nearly 190 horsepower. It's yeah, pretty, it's very, pretty close. It's a pretty powerful vehicle, and it feels great. But there's always an appetite for more power. Could the new MX-5 use more power, and would it would it be able to support turbocharging the way that um, you you know this Mazda Speed version did back in 2004? So, so what do you think? I drove the 2018 Miata just the just immediately before I drove the Mazda Speed, so I had them back to back. I didn't really feel like the like after spending time in the Mazda Speed version, I I didn't think you know I I really wish that the uh, there was a turbo under the hood of the ND like it, it just I didn't really have that sensation and I think it's because of all the things that I mentioned earlier about the implementation of that turbo. Right. I, I haven't driven the 2019 yet. Like you have, it's going to be about a month or so before I get behind the wheel. Uh, I'm curious to see how that extra power feels, but uh, the current car, the current Miata, aside from the electric power steering, is a very effective package, and I think it really comes down to the package is the most important thing. It's right. it's the experience that you're selling to the driver, not the spec sheet. And if Miata's, if the Miata spec sheet doesn't look as impressive as that from you know a potential rival well we've seen that those rivals haven't had the staying power in the market that the miata has they've Absolutely. gone by the wayside so i think that there's something else about the miata that mazda has figured out and has been consistently delivering and i don't think that 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 particular formula requires neck snapping power and if you want it the one nice thing about the new car is it's not a it's not razor sharp which mm-hmm. means it's kind of like a, a palette. If you want to make it razor sharp and you want to add uh, better handling, if you want to um, stiffen up the springs so that it's a little bouncier on the road, you can do all that kind of stuff. But yeah. you don't have to deal with it if you don't want to deal with it right right from the factory floor. And I think that's a smart move from Mazda. I think you're right. And, it, I mean, we've said the same thing about the uh, the Toyobaru twins, that it's the same thing. You've got a canvas of a car that is a very good base, and if you want more power, the aftermarket is more than, a, like, able to. I don't know how all these people are like, oh, you want turbos? We've got turbos. Just come into this garage <laughs> over here. Um but I will say that the way that Mazda has added power to the 2019 model, it feels very natural. It doesn't feel um, out of place in the way that you described the, Mazda, the old Mazda Speed. So that's a very important aspect. But going towards what you said, going towards what you said about the package, the MX-5 has always been somewhat affordable, pretty fairly affordable, I think. Around yeah. thirty thousand dollars is a, is a good amount of money to spend on a, on a on a fun to drive rear wheel drive sports car. And and How, in two thousand four, the Mazda Speed was about twenty five thousand. However, the new versions of this car can get like prohibitively expensive, like over, like over forty grand, I think, or nearly forty grand in some cases. So I don't think that's an appropriate amount to spend on on an MX-5. 
but we'll see whether or not the market agrees with us and if the MX5 will continue its um, its legacy, I guess, for the next uh, 30 years. No, I agree. I don't think that I don't think that there's a lot of value in a high dollar Miata, uh, which again probably limits the amount of power it will ever be able to produce profitably, right? Mm-hmm. So they're they're not going to sink a ton of investment into a vehicle that has a definite market that has a price gap. And uh, I think that, sure, you could sell a Turbo Miata to some outlier buyers who are craving that kind of thing, but those guys and, and girls can just go to fly a Miata if they want that. You know, like that that part of the market is being served. So it's not necessarily in Mazda's best interest to make a Miata for everybody. It's not a Porsche 911. You don't need 25 versions of the car, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I, I, at least I don't think you do. I mean, I again, I don't. I'm not running Mazda's uh, PR and marketing and and no, but 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 their customer development. I don't have that data, so I don't right. know exactly. But that's my estimate. That's that's how I feel. And then going back to one more thing, a lot of people ask me this question when we do get the rare times to borrow a press fleet um, or a classic car or older car. I guess I don't know if it's fair to call the, the MX-5 a classic. I think maybe, but. Um, Going, taking, is it like taking a time machine back to 2004? Now, I know you have a CTSV, which is, I think, 2004? Yeah, it's 2004. Um, does, it, does it feel older or newer than that, than your regular daily driver in that car? It's, you know, modern cars are modern cars. I mm-hmm. think where you really notice uh, differences, come it comes with infotainment. Like, mm-hmm. you, whether the car has a screen, whether it doesn't have a screen, how the gauges look, what kind of features it comes with. That's that's mostly what I'm noticing. Past the year 2000, things start to become largely homogenous in terms of build quality and uh, driving abilities. It's, it's you know, I think that if you go back to the 90s, you can really t- start to tell the difference between a 90s car and a car from today. If you're if you're an enthusiast and you're driving the, the older Miata or my Cadillac for example, <laughs> you'll notice the things like hydraulic steering. Right. You'll notice uh, they're a little bit lighter than vehicles in their current class, although the Miata's always been light. Uh, and uh, one thing that kept bothering me about the NB is the top is so much less user friendly than the current top. Oh, right. The current top you can flick up with, like, one hand, with one yeah. finger. But more importantly, you can reach back, grab it with one hand. There's a button to pop up the current top. You pull a lever, it pops up from its little rest behind your head, and then you can easily put it back up. On the NA and the NBA Miata, it's not like that. There's two latches on either side, so you have to put the visors oh. down, the sun visors. You have to pop the, the latches and... and throw it back but if you when you're pulling it back up it's considerably heavier and the angle on your arm is not as good so it hurts my arm every single time and my car was like that too my na so it's just something that hasn't changed over the years so yeah i noticed that that's that's a very particular thing to the miata (laughs) but uh it it's not i think you might feel like the new miata has a little bit more interior room and maybe a little bit more cargo space just for your your gear inside the the vehicle and of course, you have a screen, and if that the screen is a dead giveaway. But it, aside from that, there's not a huge, huge, huge difference. Cool. Um, anything else you want to add about that MX-5? Uh, no, I, I I will add that uh, in the days leading up to the MX-5, I drove in an FD again. <laughs> uh, oh, <laughs> the, the RX-7. Yeah. The RX-7. Yeah, I had the uh, the Mazda Classic Collection FD for several days. And I enjoyed it. Um, there were a couple problems with its that anti-theft system that actually had it removed from the fleet. 
But oh. uh, it wasn't it wasn't a defect with the car itself, just very old um, very old sensors in the anti theft system that you it, it couldn't detect whether the doors were open or closed sometimes. So you'd have to get out and open and close the hood, the ch- the hatch, all the doors, do it a bunch of times and try to start it, and eventually it would start. And I know that they're currently working on that right now. But uh, that's what I mean. You go back to the 90s, <laughs> and you're starting to look at tech- yeah, you're starting to look at technologies that maybe didn't work great when they were new, and now you're 25 years later, and you can't necessarily get them to work consistently. But mechanically, the car was perfect, and uh, the chassis was excellent, and I enjoyed everything about spending time in that car. It's uh, it's it's quite an experience, and if, if you ever get the chance to drive a third generation RX-7, you definitely need to take that experience because it is it is like nothing today. I really love driving. I really love driving the um, the FD RX-7. Unfortunately, I have not had much experience with the older RX-7s. And I always want to know whether or not this experience was something that was exclusive to that FD that um, with that sequential twin turbo or whether or not the uh, FC and the older generation RX-7s were equally as fun and exciting to drive. I think they're very different cars. I've driven all three back-to-back on a racetrack. And the the one I like the most, if I was to be completely honest, in that mm-hmm. environment is the, the FB. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is lightweight. Even though it has a solid rear axle, it handles very well. Uh, the 12A engine revs very high. It's a lot of fun. It's just a very... It's a very engaging experience. The the FC just it's fine. It's a GT car. It it doesn't really feel like it wants to be on the racetrack. <laughs> it feels like it just wants to be kind of cruising around, which is which is cool. It's just not for me. Um, and the the FD kind of splits that difference. It's larger. It's about 2,800 pounds. So you're looking at 400 pounds at least more than an an F an FB or an FA, but the mm-hmm. FA was single model year. Uh, anyway, it has more power. It's it feels like the 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 FD is the is what Mazda did when they built a car to a spec, not a price. Like they were like they they just gave the engineers a blank check and they're like build this chassis. <laughs> we don't it doesn't matter how much it costs because money's gonna last forever. Because that was the ad, that was the attitude at the end of the 80s in Japan, right? Because they had a huge bubble economy going. Uh, so there there will never be another Mazda sports car like that. There there won't be an experience where you know someone at a boardroom just hands someone unlimited amounts of cash to build a very low volume sports car. So it's it's unique in that sense. It's 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 like the engineers got to do every single thing they wanted, and some of those things were good, and some of those things have not aged well in terms right. of reliability. Mean... In terms of reliability, so it's it's a, it's a fascinating car for that in that respect. But I would probably if I had if it was my money. The the FD is my favorite, most beautiful looking Japanese car I've ever seen, but if I was if it was my money, I'm probably buying the FB. That's really interesting. And can we go back to the Mazda Speed uh, MX-5? Is there any intention uh, or any value to these things on the on the used car market? Would you ever recommend somebody go back go back and get a 2004 MX uh, Mazda Speed MX-5, or should they wait for a, a 2018 or 2017 uh, MX-5 to depreciate enough to buy one? Well, I you know. It depends what they want to do with it. Mm-hmm. If you want to go to a track, I'm not sure the Mazda Speed is a great starting point. I think you'd be better served by a regular NA or an NB. Yeah. I think an NB is a very, very approachable sports car, regardless of whether it has a turbo or not. 
and it's it's like we were talking about earlier it does it feel modern yeah if it's going to feel modern enough for you to not have any problems driving it every day so that would be my recommendation it's just just get a regular nb um try the mazda speed if you want but don't like look at the mazda speed and look at the mb the regular miata and be like hmm that looks like it's kind of not as cool and i wish i could afford the the turbo one <laughs> no just 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 drive the car and enjoy it and don't get hung up on the spec sheet Cool. Uh, do you mind if I talk about some of the cars that I drove this week? Yeah, I think we have time for that. They're not the most exciting. So I'll start with um, the newest vehicle I drove this week, which is the 2019 Mercedes-Benz uh, Sprinter cargo van. Ooh. Uh, these are now completely built in the United States, in Charleston, South Carolina. We actually went to the grand opening of the plant, which was really fun, full of really neat accents, uh, southern accents and German accents, which make for a wonderful experience when you're there. Um, we saw them making these big big sprinters they've added a whole new model range a 1500 model basically your entry-level vehicle it's available with a gasoline turbocharged four-cylinder engine or you can get it with a six-cylinder diesel we drove a cargo based version of the of the van um it was called a 3500 xd it was big it had dually wheels on the rear um really solid vehicle but you know what i i really wish i could tell you more about these things but the truth is sprinters hold a very specific niche they're like customized vehicle they're made to be customized and upfitted or outfitted to suit whatever uh needs that the buyer may have you'll see a lot of these things as rvs as sort of makeshift limo vans um and then other things i've seen them being converted into barber shop mobile barber shops uh, where have you seen where have you seen that happen outside of uh, a trade show where have you seen that happen apparently it happened at uh, the formula one in montreal Wait, uh, apparently it happened you said you saw it i've seen photos of it all uh, right oh okay story's changing going. did you even go to charleston or did someone email you a photo of charleston ben why are you doing this for me um <laughs> there was also a food truck at the at the event it was are you a, sure yes Ben. <laughs> here we go um, and I've also seen a number of other interesting conversions of the, the sprinter. And I think that what they've done is they've improved the base of it all. And that'll help a lot of the people who are planning on converting their, their sprinter to something more to suit their needs. Did, did you uh, get a chance to drive it on a stunt course of any kind? No, I didn't. I asked, I really did. And, uh, you know, because some of these things can be equipped with four wheel drive and, um, and I thought that, you know, a, a van with four-wheel drive should be used in like a-team scenarios <laughs> it's it the reason i ask is because uh maybe three years ago i went to the ram promaster debut and it was it was it was at it was in austin texas and it was at troublemaker studios which is um robert rodriguez's um it's it's i guess where he stores all of his props and he does he was shooting the the tv show for what's the vampire tv show that he does uh the swarm what swarm no 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 that's the the, the, the one strain. where no no not not that that's that's guillermo del toro i think oh i got the wrong one but okay. uh no it's it's the one with the george clooney was in the movie oh dust till dawn yes there's a dust till dawn so they have all the sets from dust till dawn there but he also had like the the cars from death proof and whatnot okay. but yeah. but they all of this to say that they set up a, a an obstacle course 
on the property using props from like death proof like the zombie trucks oh and stuff oh my god okay and they they also went down a whole bunch of the tracks so there was like a there was a a pure a, a, a hairpin that was completely slick with running water and it was to try and show you that like the stability control worked really well on uh, the van but they also had like a handbrake that you could pull yeah yeah <laughs> and you, the sprinter has a handbrake as well yeah and you can slide this huge van through this <laughs> through this wet hairpin around these priceless movie props <laughs> and it's like this is awesome but also a terrible idea <laughs> uh i guess mercedes heard about this and did not offer us the stunt the stunt course so um, it was an interesting drive, and again, I always love hearing what people would do for uh, or to their Sprinter van if they had one. Ben, do you have any ideas that you would think could become a reality if you had unlimited funds and a Sprinter van? Well, I can tell. Can I tell you what I did do in a Sprinter van one time? I mean, sure. <laughs> <laughs> do you want uh, the podcast to be on during this? Unnamed automotive podcast after dark. Yes. No, it's. I, I drove. <laughs> I drove one from um Anch- uh, from Anchorage, Alaska, all the way to the Arctic Circle, past the I've Arctic heard Circle. About this, this is such a sweet idea. Tell me more. Yeah. So we it, there's there are so many different stories that came out of the event, but um they were diesel powered sprinters. They were rear wheel drive, and it was the end of January, <laughs> so it was minus fifty seven degrees outside, and we Celsius. had a con. What's that? Celsius. No, uh, Fahrenheit. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was really cold. And that's without the windshield. No one talks about windshield in Alaska. They're just like, I guess it's too depressing. I mean, I wouldn't talk. There's, there's a whole bunch of funny stuff that happened with the Sprinter on that event. Like, for example, the only reason I knew it was minus 57 is because I bought a thermometer at a hardware store, and we attached it to the windshield wiper uh, so it faced in on the windshield. Because you know how almost every car has a thermometer in it, like, built into the, the gauge display? Yeah. So on the Sprinter van, as soon as it hit minus 40, it defaulted the vehicle into safe mode. Oh, and, no. And, and it displayed plus 80. <laughs> on the, yeah, that was how you knew you were in safe mode because the engine went into like a special closed loop. Mm-hmm. So we had no idea if, when it got colder than minus 40. So we had to add this extra, this extra thing. And so these are diesels, right? And mm-hmm. they had a, an extra um, – they they had a like a, a secondary heating system for the engine like a blanket that went around the engine and it was supposed to preheat the engine for 3 to 4 hours before you needed to start it and that that meant you could turn it off when it was really cold and then safely turn it on the next day except it didn't really work like the systems would activate but we lost a van the first night because we could not get it started. They had to tow it to a garage and let it sit inside in a heated space for like 48 hours. And uh, from that point on, we just left the vehicles running 24/7. And when we got to the when we got to our final destination, which was Coldfoot, Alaska, it's like this kind of it used to be an, a barracks of some kind for the oil industry. Mm-hmm. We get there and they're out of diesel fuel. Oh no! Because, yeah, because their their diesel truck had not arrived, their tanker. So while we were waiting for the diesel truck to show up, two of our vans idled out and oh, stalled. That's insane. Yeah, and then the diesel we finally did get was so filled with anti gel that the vehicles just smoked yellow and black like the whole <laughs> time. It was bad news fuel. It just was not clean at all. Oh, there were so many like we had transmissions that would. Uh, freezing gear and you'd have to reboot them by turning the vehicle on and off on the middle of a hill and hope that the vehicle would restart um, we had one of our vehicles got hit almost head-on by one of the 18 wheelers from ice road truckers i've heard about this yes. yeah it, it was uh howard elmer was driving and he, yes. he he was completely blindsided he's sitting trying to pull out of a road and the van in front of him 
cuts off an 18-wheeler, gets hit, and it smashes back into him, tore the front end off his vehicle. And that van pissed coolant all the way back to Fairbanks, but it made it. He I mean, got it back there. Do you need coolant when you're driving in minus 56 he, degrees? He, well, he was he was wearing the 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 hood ornament or the 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 uh, the grill ornament from the Mercedes around his neck like a medallion for the rest of the event. Uh, it was impressive. It, it, I, I felt so bad. There's nothing he could do. And, and we were lucky because there was a state trooper who happened to be nearby. So they came by to the accident scene quickly and, and mm-hmm. you know, took all the information. But apparently, like, you can wait for hours and hours and hours and hours for Before someone getting to show. any help. Gee. Yeah, it's because it's such a big state and there's not a lot of it's not a lot of law enforcement. But there were so many adventures on that trip. It was it was uh, it was really interesting to, to drive the vehicle um, on those roads. The road we were driving, uh, I, I, the the um, in the winter it's easier to drive because the snow fills all the the potholes right. and the the crazy cracks in the road. And when you're driving, you actually aim for the snow because that means there's no ice, or at least there's snow on top of the ice, and it gives you more traction. Okay. So I will say this: um, the vans, for being two wheel drive and largely cargo units, did extremely well in slippery conditions. Like I never felt like I was in danger driving the vehicles. I never felt like they were going to spit out of control. The only dangers that we had were related to the cold and the diesel engines themselves, which are not really good companions. But the vehicles themselves, I, I, I found the Sprinter to be extremely capable in a very harsh environment. And I mean, the modern ones now are not only rear-wheel drive, they can be equipped with uh, four-wheel drive, and there's also crew and passenger versions of the vehicle instead of just cargo. So that's yeah, we had, we, had a, we had a couple passenger ones, but one of the passenger ones was one that died, so we oh. ended up... Putting people in, yeah, it, 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 in the one cargo of the, van. <laughs> one of the vans got really packed. Let's just put it that way. There was a there was a film crew from Phoenix, Arizona, and this is their first winter environment. Oh my god! Oh, they were losing their minds. It's the first time in my life where I've understood how you could die from exposure. Like I, as a Canadian, I like to feel like I've experienced cold before. Mm-hmm. But what would happen when I was in this Sprinter is I'd, I'd be wearing all my winter gear, and it would get hot inside the cabin. Right. I, we were lucky our van wasn't one of the ones that had the heaters fail, so. <laughs> Yeah, um, I was driving with uh, Willie Williamson. Yeah, and I would get out of the van. I would take off my jacket, and then we'd stop somewhere, and I'd have to get out of the van to maybe adjust the um, thermometer on the windshield, to make sure it didn't fall. And I'd just get out just in my sweater, like like a normal hoodie. And within a second or two seconds of being out of the vehicle, my brain would be like, "This is too cold. You need to get back inside. You need to get back inside." Like it was instantaneously like too panic. cold. This is something I'd never experienced before. It was it was very very different from minus forty. Like the, that that seventeen degree difference made made the entire difference. Nice. Um, okay, so you didn't really answer my question. If I had a Sprinter van and convert pizza convert- parlor, pizza oh, parlor. Right. That's your answer. Pizza <laughs> wood fired pizza. What why why stop there? Why wouldn't it be that sweet Ninja Turtles? What's the name of the Ninja Turtle van? The, the... I think it was just the Ninja Turtle van. <laughs> that could think sh- it... that like the toy would shoot pizzas and stuff. It didn't oh, have man, a cool was... name. Like the the Technodrome had a name. Ninja, I gotta I gotta stop trying to find Ninja Turtle van. What does the internet tell you? I don't I don't I don't think it had a name. Party van. What? That's not true. That's every van. It's called the Turtle van. Oh, great job. <laughs> great job, Galoob. They were the toy company, right? Remember Galoob? No. Yeah, from Galoob. That was their that was their audio logo. Oh man, we should totally make this with a sprinter van. A sprinter van turtle. You know, that would be pretty cool. <laughs> I think though, like a Volkswagen ID would be a better form factor for the tur- turtle van though. I think they they look more similar. I mean the sprint the, the sprinter van is real. The ID is not yet. 
Oh. oh, and the turtle van is real somehow? We can make it real. I mean, Ninja <laughs> Turtles we're, we're still worried about. That's the one we need. That's the one thing, no matter what car we get, the Ninja Turtles may not occur. Well, not with that <laughs> attitude. Okay. Um, and then there's another car that I drove. Actually, I drove three cars. I drove three new three-row crossovers. We've pretty much talked about these cars in the past before. I drove the Subaru Ascent again. I drove the Volkswagen Atlas, and I compared those two in addition uh, in with the um, Honda Pilot. Let me well, uh, let me tell you, those are three very thrilling family cars that are basically designed for people who don't want to be seen in a minivan. We've we've talked about how the um, the Volkswagen is not exactly competitive. That's right. We've talked about how the Volkswagen it does not have a very nice interior unless you just like the virtual cockpit and you need a lot of space. That's all it does. Um, the Ascent, pretty good vehicle. Um, it's hard to hate it. It's it uh, doesn't have a like do-it-all or one fantastic standout feature other than, I don't know, standard all-wheel drive. But it does the job really well. It feels like a good jack-of-all-trades. And it reminds me a little bit of, like say, the Toyota Highlander which is, and the, the Chevy Traverse that we've talked about before. Two very um, fitting vehicles for all kinds of families. The Honda Pilot, on the other hand, is a vehicle that... Um, at first glance, seems a little bit more premium than the other two vehicles, but upon driving it, it felt really like a fancy minivan. It was a very big feeling vehicle. It felt like a school bus. The steering wheel is large. The materials as well, not nearly as premium as the Subaru. Now, can you imagine that Volkswagen and Honda both losing in terms of interior to a Subaru in terms of materials? That's It's wild. That's something I would never have imagined for for quite some time. You know, it's it's not is is fancy minivan really a bad thing? No, I mean of course not. I think the minivan is the perfect choice for a family. But like I said, some people find them to be somewhat uh, demeaning in terms of I don't know cool level. Um, and I think that the Pacifica is very good, and I've never had any issues with the Honda Odyssey other than it being very expensive. Yeah, it's it's. I think you're totally right. I think that people really discount the the box like shape of the minivan and don't necessarily realize that's the best shape you can get for you know hauling all of your gear. One of the one of the issues I had with the um, Pilot is it actually feels like a very big vehicle, whereas the Ascent, due to its large windows, it feels much smaller. It's easier to see out of. And it's easier to place in parking spots and stuff like that, whereas the Pilot seemed much bigger and a little bit more unwieldy to drive. Now, um, there, there's, a, there's a new Pilot coming out in 2019, isn't there? Yeah, there's a new Pilot that's coming out with a slightly new revised look, and it also gets one feature that it needed to have from the get-go, which was um, a volume knob for the infotainment system. <laughs> Do you think they're going to address any of the driving um, problems that you mentioned? Or not problems, but just the driving feel? Or do you think that's kind of baked into the platform? This is the same platform, not just Odyssey, but also the um, pickup truck, the Ridgeline. Right. And it's an extremely comfortable, soft, floaty vehicle. It's very numb. It feels like the throttle is not, is not attached to the engine anywhere form. It feels like it's a very digital experience. It doesn't um, it doesn't provide you with any sense of driving the vehicle. But at the same time, I think that's what Honda Pilot uh, owners are looking for. They're not looking for a, a really engaging, rugged, and uh, and strong-feeling vehicle in this in this form. So I don't think... No, definitely not. I think that it, it means something to its buyers, and I think going too far away from that will be a problem for them. But I think it's something that maybe should be um, addressed in some way or another. Uh, one of the things that I really loved about the Pilot that the other vehicles didn't have is it had a bajillion cubby holes. Like, the door panel alone had three cubby holes for your stuff. And that, I found that 
to be incredible. And then there's an armrest in the middle of the vehicle, which can store like a laptop. It can store a, um, um, a bag. No problem. Um, I love that kind of storage capability in, inside vehicles, not just taking a look at how big the trunk is and what happens when you fold down all the rear seats. But when you take a look at all of the other areas where you can store your crap, that's one of the more uh, understated elements of cars that are not, they don't, it just doesn't show up in spec sheets, you know? No, and it's, and not all vehicles, you know, you get into some large vehicles and you're shocked by how little room there is to put your gear. Yeah, and like, you end up spe- like just throwing stuff away. Like you don't know what to do with, with your stuff, right? <laughs> what like, do you I mean end throwing up, stuff away? What yeah, is it? Just like to... you open the door and you just throw it out the window? Or like... Yeah, I'm like, well, I guess there's no place for my phone and I just like toss it, gone, nowhere. Yeah, but you live that lifestyle where you can just new phone, new week, right? Like, who dis? Every time I call you, you're like, who dis? You don't know. That is true. Um, anyways, it was a, it was an interesting experience. I do think that the new Subaru Ascent is a really good pick for uh, buyers out there. The only problem is it's got some on uh, on paper a very mediocre powertrain. It's a new 2.5 uh, 2.4 liter turbocharged four cylinder engine, but honestly, you have to feel it to to understand it it makes only 260 horsepower and 277 pound feet of torque which is less than the other engines in the cars that we've mentioned here but due to the cvt which again is a is a is a low point for the vehicle um it ends up feeling quite lively and is fairly fuel efficient uh cvts as always feel and sound a little awkward they can be a little loud at times when you're trying to get hard on them and uh say that again (laughs) they can get a little loud on when you're trying to get uh, on them. <laughs> you, but I, what I do like about a CVT and a turbo car is it lets you stay in boost, like, indefinitely. Right. So that's what I mean, is that, like, it's both a good thing and a bad thing that it's offered with a CVT. It's very efficient, it feels great, but it just sounds really terrible when you're trying to get going. Um, and then, as we're finishing this week's podcast, I wanted to hit you with a couple of the news stories that came out this week. I wanted to ask if you heard about this new Volvo. Uh, it's called the 360C Concept. <laughs> I did hear about this. You you, you uh, alerted me to this earlier this week. So yeah, I sent you so many links per, per day. I don't know which ones you actually read. So what I love about this is, so Sammy was initially attra- attracted to this concept because it's it's a bedroom, living room, and mobile office all in one. Like it's a it's a concept car that actually has a bed in it. Yeah, but if you still d- live anywhere, if your car is literally a bedroom, that can exactly. Come, I mean, autonomous, if you were autonomously driving bedroom, if a robot was driving you in this car, you would be home by now. But um, <laughs> you know, why? Where am I going? That's the real. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You're not going to work because work is there. You're not going home because we already covered that. So I guess you're going to the battery, the human battery, where they're going to use your energy to power the AI. I don't know. But um, if you dig down into the press release, into the story, and on Autoguide, you can find a pretty um, a, a good in-depth exploration of this vehicle. Mm-hmm. The vehicle itself has developed a, quote, system of swelling sounds and light displays to effectively communicate the car's intentions with people around it. And Volvo believes this should be universal. Here's a direct quote. Vice President of Volvo Cars Safety Center said, We strongly believe this communication method should be a universal standard so all road users can communicate easily with any autonomous car, regardless of which maker built it. Okay. Okay. I first mean, thing. At, at the, uh, first of all, that does sound somewhat important because car-to-car communication that is not digital, or car, yeah, car-to-car communication that is not digital should be standard, right? It, it, <laughs> here's, here's what I don't understand. There's a few things here. So the car makes swelling sounds and light displays. 
Does that does your, mean does I the other, as, yeah, does the yeah other do I of... have to do it back? Is it like we've all seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind, right? We're like do 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 on that giant lighting organ, like like the prog rock organ. Do I have to carry like a kazoo or something in my pocket? And when there's a standoff with an autonomous car at a crosswalk, do I have to go? And then the, and then it, it hits me back with the next chain in the melody, and then it lets me cross the road. That is beyond absurd. Uh, how do I know what those noises mean? Is my, I, I mean, I don't no- naturally know what noises mean, do I? No, of course not. Okay. Well, I, don't, I don't know. Well, I, I can't answer that, Sam, but I'm assuming you don't. And the light, too, unless they're red, green, and, I don't know, amber. <laughs> well, it, and Volvo goes even farther, and they say that this sa- swelling sounds and lights will stand in for human-to-human communications, and then they give the example of waving, nods, uh, the wave of apology. Oh, yeah. Like... Like when you cut somebody off. Uh, sorry, so my it, autonomous vehicle ran you over. <laughs> so now it's going to show you like a fuchsia light and it's going to play like the first three notes from the Price is Right theme. I don't know what's going to happen. It's just so weird. It's like Volvo's like, well, we understand there's already a system, but how about this completely abstract system that requires a music degree to implement? <laughs> it's like... I need to under. I mean, I don't understand why car to car communication should be a thing outside of digital communication. I mean, the car to car. This isn't even car to car, though. This is car to human and human to car. And so what it should be doing is because the only reason you don't see the car is because you're looking at your smartphone and you got your phone, your headphones in. It should like somehow tap into that and be like, car coming, watch out. Yeah, no, no, it should tap into that and. It According to Volvo, play a jingle through your AirPods or whatever it is, and then flash the screen till you have an epileptic seizure and it's safe for the car to drive by. Oh. No, well, I, mean, I will on. say, hold up. The concept shows a person lounging in bed and other photos of working, hosting a meeting, and drinking champagne. I'm not going to your creepy car meeting, dude. I'm sorry. We can do this over Skype. I'm not. I'm not it, 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 what it would you do if to... I showed up to your house in your driveway in this rolling bed machine? Well, obviously, I would freeze in panic because I don't know the the what I need to hum next to make it not kill me. Like I don't I don't know the dis, the stand down hum. Like what do I have to do? What's the melody? It's like Jurassic Park. You gotta put your hand out. You gotta have that clicker. Oh man, I was thinking about the original Jurassic Park where like if you don't move, it can't see you. Right. No, this Volvo will definitely see you. Yeah, the... it's probably seeing. It probably could see me now, like with a satellite of some kind. Yeah, and it's playing that sound to you. Uh, to calm you down to reduce your paranoia. <laughs> Enhance your calm, Sammy. <laughs> yeah. Um, they think that this will be uh, a replacement for, uh, what is it, domestic flights in Europe? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Why? Does it fly, does it drive at 600 miles an hour? Like. <laughs> no, apparently in Europe, um, the flights are shorter than the security line you have to stand in. So if you just go into a car that has a fully autonomous mode and um, a bed, you can just chill out there until you or get you to where. Or you can just work. take a take a bus, right? Like or a train. train. Yeah. Doesn't Europe have a great train system that doesn't require uh, perfect pitch to use? Yeah, but Volvo doesn't make any money on that. So what do you do? That's true. Now? Volvo should have invested in the trains. That was their mistake, and now they're now AI is commanding them to make up for the loss in profits with noise. Um, okay, and then we've got this other uh, press release, which is our news release, which I don't think it's not a concept. This is the new Mercedes-Benz EQC, which is an electric version of the GLC, essentially uh, all electric vehicle. And there's been a really interesting situation that occurred. Um, it when it debuted, they said that it had 200 miles of range, which sounds good. 
but isn't at all, actually. <laughs> it's much less than what the Jaguar I-Pace makes. Um, it's much less than a Tesla Model X and is wholly uncompetitive in every way. And then shortly after, about a week, about a day after, uh, Green Car Reports reported that the EQC's range estimate was incorrect. It was actually 270, uh, 279 miles, which is slightly better. But they used a uh, they, they, the second one that came out, I believe, was used on an old European testing cycle that's known to be optimistic and is being phased out this year, I believe. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of strange. It kind of makes me wonder whether the technology itself hasn't been completely crystallized yet, whether they're not sure what kind of battery and what kind of energy usage they're, they're going to have. So they, they, they came out with a number for marketing. Then they realized probably post it's a little strange that it took them post debut to realize this, but they probably had someone say that's not competitive, and then they were like, "Well, we can make it whatever we want because we haven't decided the tech spec yet." I mean, it does have 400 horsepower, which is pretty impressive. Actually, I want to walk back and talk about the other cars I mentioned. The iPace has 240 miles of range, which is um, more than 200, the the stated 200, <laughs> and but less than the revised 279. And a Model X, the uh, the smallest battery pack, provides. 237 miles, which is, again, more than 200, uh, but less than the revised 279. And you can get a Model X that has nearly 300 miles of range, which is pretty um, impressive. I'm, I'm going to say that if you're a company that's developing a new and electric a new electric vehicle and you don't push the range envelope or at least match. Yeah, yeah or if, you don't, if you're not pushing your matching, you're not doing what you need to do to stay competitive. And I know it's harder for vehicles like the EQ, which I believe is not based on a developed just for um, EV drive uh, platform. I, like you said, it's related to the GLC. Right. I think it's actually going to be built alongside GLCs. And that's why they've decided to put – this is an, an, a report I read, I think, on Jalopnik. I need, don't know if they've picked that up from someone else. But um, it's got the electric motor in the front of the vehicle – uh, similar to how you'd find a combustion motor. Uh, yeah. So, so packaging concerns with a and a pre-existing platform that has to be converted to an electric platform. That's a huge hassle for car companies, and it's very hard for them to make a competitive range, make competitive power, uh, and and keep pr- the price reasonable when they're dealing with these constraints. If they can build like the iPace was built from the get-go to be electric, and the way they integrated the battery was entirely. Um, representative of a design process that prioritized range and prioritized the EV drivetrain. So Mercedes-Benz is handicapped by the fact they weren't able to do that with this vehicle. So the EQC uses an 80 kilowatt hour battery pack, which is less than the iPace, so that makes sense. And the Model X75D has a 75 kilowatt um, battery pack. So I think that, you know, Mercedes could definitely do this, and it's not like they're new to electric vehicles. They have a pretty solid, uh, smaller electric vehicle in the Smart. I think it's called the. Um, I think it's just called the Smart ED Electric Drive. That's it. Um, and, I mean, I've been falling in love with Mercedes-Benz design language. This is a little interesting, and. It's hard to argue with 400 horsepower and 564 pound-feet of torque, which is... Oh, I, can, I can also understand why they don't want to put the investment in, because this is an insignificant market that nobody buys. You know, it's like, what, 1%? Less than 1%? Hey, it's keeping a whole American automaker named Tesla in business. <laughs> yeah, but they're a, bo- they're a boutique car company that sells very, very few cars. So it's, it's, it's not, you know, Mercedes-Benz, this is dropping the bucket. Why, why are we going to spend a billion dollars to sell 20,000 cars? Mm-hmm. So I, I can totally get that. It's a business decision. Eventually, that might change. 
But the current reality, and car companies are not great at thinking of the future. I mean, we had a whole podcast last week where we talked about Ford and the short-sighted decision that that company has made. Um, it's it's not easy for them to look past the next quarter or even the next three quarters. Uh, and then I want to provide I want to provide you with an update on these two new BMWs that have been de- that have debuted this week. Oh wait, is this lightning round? Uh, kind of, yeah. So this is the new BMW X5 and X2. I want. Wait, you to... wait, set me up for lightning round. This is it. You got You get to pick. There's multiple choice here, Ben. All right, X5 or X2. What do you want to know? Uh, X2, X2 me. X2 now gets a new trim level. It's called the X2 M35i. Ooh, I've not heard of this. Tell me more. It is the most powerful <laughs> X2 you can get with 302 horsepower from a 2-liter turbo. Mm, does it look, like, sexier? Is no, there... it looks exactly the same. <laughs> well, I like the M2. I like more power. I'm going to say You're I want to drive it. Has, I want to drive it. I want to try it out. A slightly revised front fascia. It has new M Sport wheels, which are uh, – there's 20-inch optional Sport wheels. Uh, that sounds like a bit much. It has – a Front-mounted M-Sport differential. What do you think of that? I, uh, I don't know. M-Sport springs, adaptive dampers, revised sway bar. Just M everything, short of calling it an, an M, X2 M. M, 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 Do you think an M, X2 next. M is any, would be any cool? Would be any fun? I think it would be entirely unnecessary. <laughs> well, we know that. <laughs> <laughs> what's, the next, what's the next round? Oh, the X5. The X5 Whoa. gets a new trim level. It's called the X5. X, X5 X-Drive 45E iPerformance. Wow. <laughs> wow. Is that the longest name in the industry? X5 X-Drive 45E iPerformance. Wow, that Why is... Why is it I the X-Drive 45E? And then in case you didn't quite get it, if the E being for electric, iPerformance. Is it electric? It's a plug-in hybrid, yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know how to feel about this. It's... I'm looking at the stats now. It's got a lot of power. 394 and four, four horsepower and 442 pound-feet of torque. Yeah. It's just as fast as the X2 to 60. It's a little <laughs> bit slower. A little bit slower, but not much. <laughs> because it's got like 14 powertrains and it has to have the, carry the weight of that badge. And it'll do 85 miles an hour on electricity alone. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, but for how long? <laughs> that's not said. I don't, I mean, yeah, it is cool. I mean, I, I, I would be curious to drive this too. It's strange because the X5 is such a big, heavy vehicle that when you add battery weight and just make it bigger and heavier, you end up with kind of like, it it's kind of more orbit. efficient. It'll have its own orbit like that. Yeah, it's, you know. <laughs> anyway, well, I, I mean, they're definitely SUVs. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure? I don't know about the X2. I don't know. It's uh, it's it's X X all the way. There's not enough M in the X drive. They're going to be changing the name of BMW to uh, BMWX, <laughs> and then that's it. No more two series. They're just X two. No no no. Please don't say that. Please don't go the way of Ford BMW. Yeah, there you go. Um, so Sammy, what are, what are we talking about next week? What are we talking about next week? I'm actually driving a brand new X5 next week. What do you think of that? Hey now. Yeah. Uh, so I'm very excited about that. What are you driving? I'm, I'm driving the CLA 45 AMG, which is the hottest version of a car I have not been impressed with in the past, but I've been told this is the best version of the car they have built, so I'm going to approach it with an open mind. It's also interesting to talk about the CLA while the new A-Class is on the way. Won't if you say so. I think it's <laughs> awkward silence. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and if if you if you have ideas for what we should be talking about next week, you can always get a hold of us in a variety of ways. Sammy uses Twitter, even though it's a cesspool. You can get a hold of him at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing, or you can reach out to me on Instagram, which is all smiles and rainbows, and there I'm at Hunting Benjamin. Yeah, be sure to hit up. Uh, hit me up about your Sprinter conversion van ideas. Uh, if you have a Sprinter fantasy, Sammy wants to hear about yeah. it, and I want to hear about it too. So, and additionally, if you don't want to talk to us uh, out loud in public, you can email Ben. That's Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. And we also have a contact form on our website, which is unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. And when you and go there's, to... there's also the there's also the Facebooks, right? The Facebooks they can contact us on. Yeah, you can contact us on Facebook. I I agree with that that statement. <laughs> but let's go back to the website. If you go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, you can see all of our previous episodes. You can see photographs of all the cars that we've driven. Um, you can also subscribe to this podcast using whatever application you use. I think currently we've got uh, buttons for Spotify, Google Play, um, iTunes. iTunes, CastBox, and all sorts of other Castaway. <laughs> no, that's the, your favorite movie with Tom Hanks. Oh, man. Um, and there's a way to tweet this out and share it with friends too. And we would really appreciate that. Um, if you don't want to make your love for this podcast, uh, public, you can maybe leave a private review on iTunes. That would pretty much help us out in a pretty big way. Um, but for now, so, yeah, yeah. Anything else? Am I missing anything? No, you've really covered it. And, uh, I feel like that was an extremely professionally delivered elocution on the ways people can reach us wonderful i'm gonna make a i'm gonna make a bingo card for all of the things we say and do for the podcast and one of the bingo things it's like sammy completely botches the clothes of the podcast ben talks about tires yeah, oh, ben, ben hauls tires in an inappropriate vehicle <laughs> anyways thank you for listening everybody and we'll talk to you next week bye bye